in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know we're on uh, indictment watch. An indictment of President Trump is imminent. The third indictment. It's all, (laughs) it's no big whoop. It's just not a big deal anymore. We're accustomed to it. We're used to it. They thought it would freak us out. They thought we'd abandon Trump. They thought we'd rally around uh, Ron DeSantis or uh, um, Asa Hutchinson. No, they never thought we'd rally around him. But they thought we'd abandon Trump. We haven't. We know this is a joke. We know it's a fraud. We know it's a uh, an abuse of power, really, uh, that the government is trying to pull here. So he could be indicted today, tomorrow, all January 6th stuff. That's what we're told, that Jack Smith guy. And uh, it's just not a big deal. It's, you know, he's going to survive. It's going to help him with fundraising. It's going to help him with the polls. I'm going to be, I mean, we're going to be even more devoted to him, probably, a lot of us. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I met with Trump. When was that interview? At the very end of April, late April. Yeah, it was like April 27th. I went down to Mar-a-Lago and sat down with the president. Very cool half-hour interview. And um, it didn't even come up. (laughs) It didn't come up. It wasn't like... Well, you better not ask him about the indictment, or I was afraid to ask him about the indictment. It didn't even occur to me to ask him about that phony baloney case by Alvin Bragg. Uh, I mean, it may have come up. I don't think it did. I know it wasn't on my mind. If he walked in right now, is that what you'd want to ask him about? I mean, look, we'll know more when they drop this ludicrous thing. It's coming. I mean, hey, he. after all, I mean, I guess President Trump should be in trouble, right, for telling those people to peacefully and patriotic make their voices heard? Who does he think he is? He should be stirring the pot. He should be trying to get people to bash each other's heads in, like uh, Kamala Harris and, and Chuck Schumer. Remember that? I'm coming for you, Gorsuch. You will reap the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. That's a federal crime right there, right in front of our face. It's, just, it's, uh, it's so wild. It's wild. It's wild. Hey, uh, quick sidebar here. I went to go see Oppenheimer last night. I went to go see the movie. You know, I get done uh, pretty late at night, and I was going home. My wife told me she was already going to bed. She's going to bed early. You know, so she's going to be. So I, I said, I'm going to go to the movies. I'm going to go to a movie on a Monday night. And it was playing at 1045. And I went in there, and it was packed, number one, which is I was not expecting. And... um I was also expecting a better movie, okay? I mean, I'm sorry, but watching that bug-eyed weirdo for uh, two hours was enough for me. I did not make it to the third hour. You know, there's no real surprise here. Um, The bomb worked, all right? So it's just these guys. It's the backstory for the mad, crazy, gloomy uh, scientists. uh, You know, their, their girlfriends, their wives, their rivalries, their jealousies, you know, just the drama of being a scientist in the 40s and 50s. And uh, does that sound like a movie? Not really, right? It, it's not quite a movie. I mean, these guys were nerds. They're nerds, all right? And we need nerds. You know, that's great. But they're very focused on uh, arithmetic, okay, and theory and uh, reading books. And that's great. Again, we need people like this. But their lives weren't all that interesting. I know. I'm sorry. I keep hearing about what an interesting guy this Oppenheimer was and you know, he was married twice. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, I just, I mean, I, I granted his eyes looked like they were about to bulge out of his head in any second. Uh, and he definitely needed a sandwich. Uh, he needed a cheeseburger. He was seriously underweight, needed some milkshakes. Hey, I'm glad they came up with that atomic bomb. 
it saved a lot of lives, both American lives and Japanese lives. Because those guys, the Japanese, they were going to fight like they were just, they were going to fight forever. They were going to fight forever. Conventional warfare on uh, mainland Japan, we'd still be fighting that fight. They would not have given up. But when we unleashed that bomb, the key was not really Hiroshima. It was a couple of days later, Nagasaki. It's like, okay, we got a thousand more bombs just like this. Are you guys going to give up or do you want us pummeling? So they, they got the message and they said enough. I wonder what would have happened because that was it for the bombs, right? We didn't have any more. We could have probably gotten one fairly soon. So what about this movie? Uh, Bug-Eyed Weirdo. And the script stinks. And I think they know it. It's one of the reasons why they're mumbling the whole time. They're talking so fast and there's a lot of mumbling going on. So I don't know exactly what's happening. And then the, the soundtrack is like so in your face. You know, it's a pretty... It's a weak movie when you have to have like dramatic music playing every second of the movie. That was uh, that got to be distracting and annoying. And then the other thing was, um, I guess it was nice to see basically every actor I've ever heard of was in this movie. Every actor I've ever seen in any movie was in this movie. <laughs> um, Matthew Modine, remember him? I'm like, is that Matthew Modine? Yeah, sure enough, it is. He's playing some senator, some I don't know, some guy. Uh, who else was in this movie that was like, hmm, whatever happened to him? Josh Hartnett. Remember him? The heart, heartthrob from Black Hawk Down? He was in the movie. And uh, was Alan Alda? Did I see Alan Alda in the movie? It was just like on and on and on like that. So, look, anybody who can get together and making a movie is hard. And look, this is part of the fun of going to movies. Nitpicking it. Talking about it. It's I'm allowed. It's cost... Uh, and I did not. Actually, I'm kind of curious. I may have to go back. There's no way I could sit for three hours. Can you for three hours at night? I was going to get out at two in the morning. I had to go home, even though, you know, I had a little bit of latitude. I had to go home. So maybe I'll catch the last hour. But I don't want to pay 20 bucks to see one hour of a movie. Um, Teller was the guy who invented the hydrogen bomb. He was a, he was a big thing. He was a presence in it. Uh, they didn't like each other. All these geniuses, you know, they're all jealous of each other and they're all they're all making out with each other's wives, too. That was, uh, I mean, I don't know if that was really happening. If, you know, people get crazy jealous and uh, you can't focus on work when there's all that kind of stuff happening, uh, all that hanky panky. So I wonder if they uh, took a little poetic license, you know, uh, Joe Biden just wrapped up a speech about what, 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 what pressing issue would he address? Uh, North Korea, Iran, Ukraine. Uh, inflation, uh, what's he going to tell you? No, Emmett Till. Emmett Till. I remember that poor kid in the 1950s. I don't remember I wasn't alive, but I read about it later or heard about it. Emmett Till, young man visiting family. Where was that? Any? Where was it? Mississippi, Tennessee? Where was it? He lived in Chicago. He was 14 years old, and he's visiting family out in the country. And everybody says he whistled at a uh, at a white woman in some sort of uh, convenience store. Well, it may have been a little bit more than that. It may have been a lot more than that. It may have been sexual harassment, but, you know, I don't care. I've seen the pictures of this kid, what they did to him. I mean, the mutilation, the horror that they inflicted on this uh, this young man. Just absolutely awful. I mean, and the open casket, and just terrible egregious, tragic uh, moment in American history, but it was a moment. It was a moment. Now, we can harp on this, right? We can. T what is the occasion? Why would Joe Biden talk about it today? 
Uh, let's see. It happened in 1955, and that is how many years ago is that? 67 years ago, right? Something like that. 67 years ago. Is it this? Do we make a big deal about the 67th anniversary? I mean, what? what why today? To sign a proclamation to make the Emmett Till Memorial. There's going to be a great big Emmett Till Memorial to him and his his uh, his mom. And again, you know, I'm sorry, but there are tragedies every single day in America, every single day. But he chose to do this today. Why? Um, to exploit black people. That's what he does. To exploit them. To increase racial strife in America. Tension. Resentment. Hostility. And you know what? It's working. It's working. I mean, you can see it. You can see it on social media. You can feel it in the streets, especially here in New York. You know, New York was such a, we were beyond all this stuff. New York had trouble, no doubt about it. But we emerged from that as a beautiful, placid city. And race was, for decades, it was not an issue. It was not an issue. And now it's all anybody seems to want to talk about, think about, and uh, carry out violence over, right? It's It pervades everything. And one of the beautiful things about New York that made us so different from other cities, and it's less so now, but everybody rode mass transit in New York. Everybody. You could see a billionaire on that. You could see somebody on welfare on that. You could see an investment banker on that. You could see a community college student going to school. Everybody took the subway, and it brought us together. It brought us together in a beautiful way, I think. Now, we don't have that anymore because people who can afford it are generally avoiding the subway. And this, yeah, you're going to see some some race lines develop here again. You know, other cities don't have that. If you go to, um, if you go to Atlanta, if you go to Philadelphia, not everybody rides the, the for, for decades. It was like you, if you had a car, you didn't take the subway. You didn't. You didn't do that. They had a horrible, horrible term for MARTA. I mean, they made fun of people, especially people of color who had to ride public transportation. Here, we didn't do that because we had our act together. And there's Joe ripping this country apart. He said his whole soul, his whole soul, would be in it, unifying this country. Now his whole soul is into saving his neck. He is desperate right now. He's in a desperate situation. He has to save himself. Um, now, I went through this yesterday. Miranda Devine, uh, we, we, solid proof here. We may be hearing from Devin Archer, friend of Hunter Biden. He's going to come forward and say, basically, I saw at least on 24 occasions Hunter Biden call his dad to impress uh, various investors and people we were working with and people we wanted money from, including <clears throat> top Burisma executives. The top Burisma executives <clears throat> wanted uh, an assurance from Hunter that that um, uh, they would take care of the uh, federal prosecutor, the federal prosecutor in Ukraine. And they said it in writing. I've got the email right here. But at one point they said, listen, we need to talk to your dad right, right away. So he said, come on over. And they called him on the phone. And Joe speaks and, you know, oh, hi, how you doing, guys? Uh, nice to talk to you. <clears throat> the message was, Hunter, he did this. He's like, all right, I will talk to him, <coughs> excuse me, behind the scenes. I can't talk to him um, in this phone call. We have to do it. We have to be smart about this, guys. But Hunter's not smart. And he put a lot of stuff in email that he probably really, really regrets. Now that we all have his 
his um, laptop. So here's a top guy. I have his email right in front of me. Vadim Pozarski. He's a top guy at Burisma. And he writes Hunter and all of Hunter's colleagues about what is, is, is expected out of this arrangement. Okay? Hold on one second. Ah, it's 85 degrees out there. It feels like 105. I know it's, it's cooler technically, but it feels pretty, pretty intense out there. Well, number one, you got to remember this. Every time, every time Joe said this, he was lying. Cut 14, please. Cut 14. Hunter said the only thing you said to him was, quote, I hope you know what you're doing. That's exactly right. He's a grown man. What I meant by that is, I hope you thought this through. I hope you know exactly what you're doing here. Meaning what? That's all I meant. Nothing more than that, because I've never discussed my business or their business, my sons or daughters, and I've never discussed them because they know where I have to do my job and that's it. And they have to make their own judgments. But you understand people say Joe Biden, he's an experienced politician, statesman, knows the issues of Ukraine. Why didn't he just say to his son, this is one to take a pass on. It may not look good. He was already on the board and he's a grown man. And it turns out he did not do a single thing wrong as everybody's investigated. Well, no, 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 no. And he can say that with a straight face and the fake news gives him a pass. But did he say something about a business? Did he say my business? Just I just want to hear the very top of that one more time. Hunter said the only thing you said to him was, quote, I hope you know what you're doing. That's exactly right. He's a grown man. What I meant by that is, I hope you thought this through. I hope you know exactly what you're doing here. Meaning what? That's all I meant. Nothing more than that, because I've never discussed my business or their business. My Stop and- my business. He's in public service. You're not supposed to call it a business. It's not a business. My business. I hope you thought this through. Did you think it through, Joe? Your son is signing up with a shady company in a shady country. Let's face it. Ukraine, shady government, had the reputation as being one of the most corrupt countries in the world, signing up with a a crazy company for $83,000 a month. Did you think this through, Joe? Did you think this through? Because all of your colleagues there in the White House, and I'm going to prove this later, were freaked out that you were doing something so unbelievably stupid letting your son getting involved in a country that you were spending a lot of time in. Officially, you were in charge of the Ukraine portfolio, whatever the hell that means. And I don't know any vice president who had the Ukraine in their portfolio. We have a State Department for that kind of stuff. You know, the word is that Barack Obama, this is one of the reasons why he didn't want Joe to run for president in 2015, 2016, because he knew how thoroughly corrupt the guy was. Give me a moment, please. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You hear that? This is Oppenheim the movie. It's it's two three hours of this spooky mood music.
This is the whole movie. And and the Oppenheim guy looking bug-eyed at everybody and freaked out. And occasionally hooking up with one of the lab girls. That's it. <laughs> Maybe there's a little bit more. I found it so annoying, actually, the the music. And they were mumbling, hey, wait, a lot of you guys saw the movie, too. Uh, did you, Frank, did you see the movie? Hey, Greg, how's it going? No, I didn't see the movie. Well, I thought you, you've got thoughts. It says, I, I got a note here, you got thoughts on the, and you. Well, I do. Well, I mean, well, I all right, I, I want to talk was, to somebody who saw the movie. Did anybody see this movie? But hang on, what? Greg, I got an important point to make. I don't know if uh, I wanted to, what? I promise it'll be good. What? You're my buddy. So what I wanted to make the point is I was hoping that the movie was going to shine light on Project Paperclip. All right, all right, Frank, I don't know what the hell that is. Alex, did you see the movie? Uh, no, but I wanted to make a comment. All right, never mind. I want to know about this freaking movie. James, did you see the movie? Everyone's calling up with a comment. Yes, you, you I did. didn't see the movie. Oh, gee whiz, you too. What? what? But you called a comment on it. The FBI was after him. The FBI was after him. I know. I, I, I know that. I know that. You know why? Back then, we kind of liked the FBI. You know, they poo-poo it now, but uh, communists were out to take over America from the inside. And they kind of succeeded when you think about it. I mean, we're still living with the deep state, the swamp, universities. I mean, we are <laughs> we are crazy owned by the left. And it I think it had its essence, its, its beginnings, its origins um, in the 40s and 50s. And uh, the communists trying to infiltrate America. So I don't blame the FBI for keeping tabs on uh, Oppenheimer, who, oh, by the way, was a little bit uh, loose with his lips and a lot of other things, uh, Jim. There was a big uh, investigation. If, if Ronald Reagan could read human events, I could read it. And in human events, they were splashed all over the paper in that time. I don't know, 50s, 40s, who the hell remembers? So, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, they... And that's what they did. They had this weird investigation of him. They took away his security clearance, the International Atomic Energy Corporation Commission, whatever. Uh, I can't believe. How much did they spend on that movie? A hundred million dollars. Wow. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings. I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. And what I will do is the same thing we did in our administration. There will be an absolute wall between personal and private. Uh, and, and and the government. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business? Yes, I stand him? by that. I did my job. I never discussed a single thing with my son about anything having to do with Ukraine. No one has indicated I have. We've always kept everything separate. Even when my son was the attorney general of the state of Delaware, we never discussed anything. So there'd be no potential conflict. Yeah, uh, none of that's true. And uh, it's all about to come collapsing down on Joe Biden's stupid little head. Um, they're right now very, very concerned at the White House about a couple of things. Number one, they do believe that these Ukrainians, um, at least Ukrainians, maybe some other people, taped Joe Biden on that speakerphone uh, talking to them. That would blow all those denials right out of the water and open up a, a, a illegal can of worms for Joe Biden. So um, and apparently it's customary over there in the U.K. I'm surprised it's not done more here. 
you don't hear about too many people, you know, everybody has a tape recorder. Remember in the 70s, you know, are you wearing a wire? Is that guy wearing a wire? And wearing a wire was like a big deal. First of all, you had to like, you know, tape a, uh, some sort of recorder to your chest and sometimes the battery would leak and, you know, and then you had to worry about, are they going to, are they going to pat me down? And, uh, you know, <laughs> we saw that in Prince of the, was it Prince of the City? I think it happened in Prince of the City. Great movie. Um, now everybody has the ability to record everybody else. You should basically assume that you're being recorded at all times. Um, even if you're in a room by yourself, your phone is sitting there and the microphone, did you disable your microphone? So it's listening to everything and it sends the data back to, uh, I don't know, Google headquarters and they figure out what kind of, uh, uh, ironing board that you might want. And then they send you an ad for it. Really crazy, invasive stuff. So, but over there in the UK, we don't do that here for the most part. We don't. But over there, they do it all the time. Uh, President Poroshenko of Ukraine did it on Joe Biden when Joe called to demand that that prosecutor be fired. Por, por, uh, Poroshenko has a has a recording of it. You know, it's interesting. I know it gets a little bit tedious, and Poroshenko and Shokin and all these crazy Ukrainian names, hard to keep track of, and I keep hearing from the fake news. Well, that's why no one's really interested in it. Are you kidding me? You guys were wasting our time for uh, for th- for a year with that Russia, Russia, Russia st- stuff and uh, George Papadopoulos and uh, uh, Archer Fleming and all these weird people. Uh, nonstop coverage. You didn't care that it was esoteric and just all these names nobody ever heard of and couldn't really understand it. Uh, you had no problem going overboard back then. It's fascinating. You know, even the really simple layup stories that are embarrassing or harmful to Joe Biden, the media will ignore. Uh, This is an easy one for them to ignore because they don't even want to understand it. And if they were to understand it and to report on it, they would realize how derelict in their duty they've been. Because this this has been news for a long time, some of this stuff. But do you remember when Joe Biden fell down the steps three times getting on Air Force One? I was sitting right here when that happened. Uh, It was a Friday in March of 2021. Bam, 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 that guy went down. And on the news that night, nobody put it on TV. Well, it's not substantive. It has nothing to do with policy. These people, the media, they don't care about policy. They don't understand policy. They they, they like gossip, okay? They're just a bunch of high school gossips. And uh, who's up, who's down, that kind of, not, you know, just who endorsed who? And who? this person said this about you. What's your response? Ooh, your response is so nasty. Ooh, your response is so lame. Like, it's just very, very bitchy, nasty, personal coverage. It's not It's not substantive. You know, people uh, every now and then are like, oh, television news, you know, you dumb it down for the people. No, that's not true. Actually, television news is vastly superior, and radio is vastly superior to print. Because in print, they take that little quote, and you can't, you have no idea the tonality. You have no idea. And when, when you hear the person say something, that changes it. If you if somebody writes down selectively picks out six words from a one hour interview and they put it now at least we you actually hear the soundbite and you have a sense of what the person was up to what the person was all about for instance uh, well here's Chris Christie let's hear what he had to say cut two the conduct here by the U.S. Attorney in Delaware um, and by the Justice Department it just can't be justified. It doesn't take five years, Margaret. I, as you mentioned, I, I was the U.S. attorney in the fifth largest office in the country for seven years during the Bush administration. It does not take five years to, to investigate two misdemeanor tax counts 
and to dismiss a gun charge. Um, and we need to know what they were investigating and why these are the charges they concluded to. This is not just any person. This is the son of the president of the United States. And while justice needs to be equal, it needs to be equal. And it doesn't appear to me that this is the way to do it. And I would say one thing on the gun charge. I mean, this is a case where Democrats yell and scream for more new gun laws in the country. Yet you hear no Democrat yelling about the fact that Hunter Biden intentionally lied on his gun permit application, mishandled the gun after he received it with a false permit application, Mm -hmm. and faces absolutely no penalty. Guess what? The guy who sponsored that law was his father, Senator Joe Biden. And that charge carries a 10-year sentence, Margaret. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to explain, they need to explain to the public why that was done. So, no, I don't think it's time to move on. Uh, And you know that the U.S. attorney in Delaware was appointed. Uh, what, what was she saying? Um, oh. on, on issues. Incompetent, Margaret. It doesn't matter whether, Margaret, it doesn't matter whether you're appointed by a Republican or a Democrat. If your work appears to be incompetent and inexplicable, you need to explain it so we can have confidence in our justice system. And I don't care whether Mr. Weiss is a Republican or a Democrat. He owes the American people an explanation. Yeah. Well, Chris Christie finally making a couple of points, not dinging Trump. How about that? Then it was right back to bashing Trump pumping himself up about being the fifth largest U.S. attorney in the country. Well, well, he may have been the fifth largest, probably the largest U.S. attorney in the country, um, but he was never a real prosecutor. But look, those are all valid points. And that reporter coming in and saying, oh, the U.S. attorney was Trump appointed. They never tell you this. The U.S. attorney was recommended by the two Democrat senators from Delaware, uh, Chris Coons and a guy named Ted Kaufman. Was it Ted Kaufman at the time? Uh, Ted Kauf- No, Tom Carper. Tom Carper and Chris Coons, the two Democrats senators from Delaware, said, we want this guy. And as a courtesy, which is often done, you know, for U.S. attorney recommendations, they let the senators pick that. Trump ratified it. It's not like trying to do a Trump appointee. That is that's proof right there of of the fake news. So what is the White House worried about right now? They're worried about tapes. They're worried about one of these Russian oligarchs or uh, Chinese businessmen or who knows what recording have a recording of joe biden uh whether it's pleasantries or outright promises or you know taking bribes they're worried that those tapes exist and i'm told they do and we can expect them relatively soon all right so the other thing that they're kind of nervous about the people who work at the white house they don't know much about this case so pretty soon things are going to get really intense things are going to get real on this And they don't know the first thing about it. And they can't talk to Joe because Joe is such a hothead, mean jerk, that he yells at people. How dare you bring up my son? Get out of here. Get the fuck. He's always cursing and yelling. And so they don't know what's going on here. And they don't know what's true. They don't know what's not true. They they, they don't understand the story. Their heads start to spin with this Poroshenko stuff. You know who knows the story better than anyone in the world? Rudy Giuliani. Absolutely. Uh, Rudy knows it. And actually, by listening to Rudy and doing some reading, I feel like I'm pretty damn uh, conversant in it. All those, you know, you can, it can kind of blow your mind here. Uh, It's a foreign country. No journalist went over there to cover this. You know who went over to cover it? Rudy did. Most journalists, you know what they do? They sit at some stupid cafe in Brooklyn being all opinionated with their friends and cute on Twitter, but they don't actually go anywhere. They don't break their ass because that's, that takes effort. That's, you know, it's much more fun and much easier to sit around and say crap on Twitter all day long. That's the state of political journalism these days. 
Hey, so the new police... Wait, actually, I want to do this first. What's the latest on the Gilgo guy? Has anybody heard from Rex? He's still in, uh, oh boy, big trouble. The evidence keeps coming in. However, I haven't heard. They've been searching that house now for over a week. I heard something about a soundproof room. I heard something about a uh, doll. But we haven't, you know, we haven't heard about body parts or anything like this. This is Rodney Harrison, the... Uh, this is the uh, commissioner of the police department there in Suffolk County. Was he on Sid's show? Cut nine. You're going to have a hard time right now, Rodney, convincing the public Rodney. that this wife in the same house had no idea what was going on. Well, I'm not trying to convince anybody. Uh, you know, anytime somebody asks me regarding her knowledge of her husband's actions, uh, I tell them, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I will share this. Uh, when we engaged her and we spoke to her, she did act shocked. She was very, very disappointed, embarrassed, you know, but regarding her having knowledge, time will tell. We'll eventually get down to the bottom of it. If she had a role at all, or was she uh, totally naive to her husband's actions? Uh, Rodney, I, Commissioner Harrison, I do not believe that that woman knew a damn thing about all this. Serial killers, you know, if they, wanted to, if they don't want to get caught, they don't tell anybody about what they're doing. I'm trying to think of another serial killer where the wife did not know a damn thing Certainly, that was BTK, Dennis Rader. Remember that case? That guy wanted to be caught, but uh, his wife and child knew nothing about that. Who was another uh, serial killer who was Mar- Charles Manson? Well, he had a he had a whole family. They were talking about that stuff. Uh, I just don't think a serial killer is known to share this stuff with immediate family, and I think they're victims here. And I really have a special kind of sympathy for them because nobody else does. <laughs> You know, I mean, really, nobody else does. Um, the victims, you know, the genuine victims, uh, the, 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 those who are murdered, all kinds of sympathy. But for family members, no, there's there's a cloud of suspicion, and I think it's unfair here. Let me hear from Commissioner Harrison. This is, uh, uh, oh, about the soundproof room. Cut 10. Somehow, I, I, I believe that the soundproof room and the vault, uh, that, that message got misconstrued. But there is a vault. There is no soundproof room. Can we confirm that yeah. someone was killed inside the house? We can't confirm that this time. Well, can he confirm it at the end? I couldn't hear that. There's a helicopter flying overhead. All right, so it's not a soundproof room, but it was some sort of vault, which I'm sure uh, kept the sound in, right? Are we kind of sure? All right, do we want to do a little bit of this Emmett Till thing? Y'all ready with that? Emmett? Oh, uh, oh, Kamala. We don't want to. We don't want to listen to Kamala. Oh, here's something else about uh, from the White House that I'm hearing. I've got a really good. I don't want to say anything else because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But here's the problem they have at the White House with Kamala Harris. They know she's terrible. They know she's stupid. They know she's an unguided missile. She's a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, But I think this is kind of racism in a weird way. They think they can't do anything about it because she's a woman and because she's black. They don't want to mess with her. If it were some white person, they especially a white man, they would have no problem. You know, being a vice president is supposed to be, at times you're supposed to be frustrated at, at you know, what do they call it? A, nothing but a bucket of spit. Some some guy once famously described it as a, as a bucket of warm spit. That's the value of being vice president. It means nothing. Um, it's obviously a lot more than that now. And you get a, your own house and you get Air Force Two and you, get a, you actually get a mansion. You get limos. You get, it's kind of cool. Uh, you don't have real power, but you got a lot of status and a lot of prestige, and a lot of people would love to have that job. And, oh, by the way, your chances of becoming president someday 
are something like 25%. One in four vice presidents become president of the United States. So it's a great deal. Now, ordinarily, an incumbent president, there's always a little bit of tension and distance between the incumbent president and the vice president. A little bit of rivalry, all kinds of weird dynamics kick in. You know, they never they never pick somebody who's like a super duper star. You can't have a super duper star because that person could potentially outshine the main event, the president. So they always look for somebody a little bit mediocre in some way, shape, or form. It's kind of human nature. You know, if you had a job, you know, and you had like, okay, we want you to pick a deputy. Would you would you pick your deputy, somebody who you knew was actually better than the at the job than you? No. <laughs> You'd want somebody, you know, uh, semi-mediocre, right? You don't want to, oh, maybe we'll take him over you. You don't want that. Nobody wants that. So it's it's human nature. It's kind of this thing. So uh, that's one of the reasons why they picked uh, Kamala, because she's terrible, okay? Because <laughs> she stinks. But now it's blowing up in their face. Everybody can see it. They want to get rid of her. They want to sit her down, but they can't. They can't. They're trapped. Um, now, I don't think they, they should be trapped. Look at all the presidents that they let kind of dangle in the wind. Um, let me think. Dan Quayle, uh, they 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 gave him hell. Let's see. There's some others. I think um, when when George H. W. Bush ran for president in 1988, Ronald Reagan. Well, uh, George, you're going to have to run for that nomination, and if you win it, I'll I'll endorse you. But he did not endorse before he actually clinched the nomination. That's the way it's supposed to work. It's like when uh, Nixon ran for president uh, in 1960. There were some other people running. Eisenhower didn't uh, didn't anoint Nixon. In fact, he didn't actually seem to want Nixon to win. So anyway, I think that's a real, that's kind of a form of racism. You got somebody who's not good at the job. Everybody knows it. Everybody can see it. You should kind of extract a promise or an arrangement. You're not going to be renominated. You got to do something else, but they won't do that. And now there's a real chance. I said one in four. There's like a one in two chance she's going to be president of the United States someday. Francis in Long Island. Hello. Yeah, I, you know, I, I went over to the movie, Tanners. I saw the movie. All right, calm down. Calm, calm, calm down, uh, Francis. I really, that grates on me. I don't care for that. Can you slow it down a little bit? A pile of garbage. All right. All right. Yeah, cute. Uh, Brian, uh, how are you? Good, good. I went and saw the movie. I thought it was a great story, and it was it a great movie. No, but it was a good movie, and it caught my attention the whole time. Uh, I started to uh, zone out after the test of the bomb. I, well, uh, you, I, I, I that's when I. What? Did you see the part where they talked about the story with Strauss, the guy that wanted to be a cabinet member? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the, you mean when, when when the movie turned black and white? You mean that part? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I that that's Robert Downey Jr., by the way. So it was yeah. it was a confusing mess. It's jumping around from decade to decade, back and forth. Who the hell is Strauss? And oh, my goodness gracious, he's not going to be made the, the the Secretary of Commerce. I, I did not feel invested in that. So I don't know, for all the hype. And let's face it, the music was annoying. Did you notice the music? Wasn't it kind of just, it's like never went away. The entire movie, they had this going on in the background. It was, it was a little bit much. So I'm going It's one thing when the credits are rolling, but for every moment of the movie, they had this mood music. Anyway, Brian, I'm glad you saw it. Where did you see it? Well, how about. Where did conflict? you see it? Where did you see it? 
I saw it in Staten Island at the IMAX theater. And, you know, there was a storyline. There was a couple storylines below that, like the difference between how the Army works and the way that the scientists work, where the Army, they try to keep everything secret, whereas the scientists, when they work together, they try to have a freedom of I, information. I, I guess I know, I mean, I, having been in the military, I think, I think we all know that the Army is a bit more buttoned up you know, than a bunch of uh, eccentric scientists. So that wasn't a big, uh, you know, that, that that wasn't a big reveal for me. And uh, the more I think about it, the angrier I get. I may go to that movie and get my money back. Thanks. Uh, I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, you heard about the uh, chef to Obama who died in a some sort of swimming accident. Uh, very weird. Looks like a really, uh, you know, twenty-something guy, very, very fit. Uh, I'm looking at a video of him. Some of his Instagram stuff shows that he's in great shape and he knows how to swim. So he goes on a paddleboard and somehow drowns about twenty feet off the shore in Martha's Vineyard, <laughs> right off, of, right in front of Barack Obama's house. The nine one one call actually came, we believe, from Barack Obama's house. Now, the the just to add this. Add weird, more weirdness to it. Um, Campbell's death. The guy's name was uh, uh, Tafari Campbell, a Barack Obama employee who formerly worked as a chef in the White House, found dead in a pond near the ex-president's um, Martha's Vineyard residence. How about this, though? As Newsweek has it, Campbell's death has parallels with that of Walter Scheib, an executive chef at the White House for 11 years under Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. Scheib drowned in June of 2015, while hiking in the Sangra de Cristo Mountains near Taos, New Mexico. Huh? <laughs> what? Two sh- what are the chances of that? Two White House chefs drowning in a little freak accidents? And back to the first one. Um, the Massachusetts State Police said that Campbell's body was discovered at a depth of about 8 feet, around 100 feet from the edge of the Edgerton Great Pond. I've never been to Martha's Vineyard. It sounds like a real great big pain in the neck. Every now and then I see somebody or hear somebody going off there, and it just, I don't want to have anything to do with that place. Too far, too inconvenient. Authorities were first called about a paddleboarder in trouble at 7.46 p.m., and uh, they found the guy. Very sad. He looked like a great guy with a great future, and uh, this is strange. you got to admit. I'm not saying there's a connection. But I'm not saying there's not either. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, uh, Ron DeSantis was in a uh, car accident, but he's totally fine and everybody in his car is fine. Uh, He was in a car accident in Nashville. He's down there looking for uh, looking for votes, looking for support. Uh, It's not coming very, uh, (laughs) very quickly or easily for Ron DeSantis. Uh, That happens. You know, not everybody's got it when it comes time to run for president. You really find out what you're made out of. And uh, he's just not cut out for this stuff. Maybe someday. But so far, it's been basically a disaster. I uh, see here he's laid off a third of his staff. Uh, and I can't figure out how many people are working for him. They said they just shed a 38 jobs, 38 jobs shed across an array of departments. They will include the roughly 10 event planning positions that were announced several weeks ago, in addition to the recent Departures of two senior DeSantis campaign advisors, Dave Abrams and Tucker 
Obenshane. Well, um, how many people do you need to run for president? I would think you need a, a lot. A lot. At one point, they were giving him a really hard time. He had 900 people working on his campaign. To me, running for president, you're going to, in less than a year and a half, he wants 80 million people. He needs 80 million people to do something for him, to vote for him. I think it would take at least 1,000 people to get that, right? I mean, how many people work at your average major grocery store? Several hundred at least, right? Your average... We went to Trader Joe's. There are all kinds of people all over the place, and they have it's multiple shifts, and I, hundreds of people work at these grocery stores. Don't you need hundreds of people to get elected uh, a president? Hey, I'm looking at MSNBC. Racism in America. That's their big banner headline, Racism in America, and they're showing us pictures of Emmett Till from 1953. 1953. Why now? You know, Joe Biden got to the United States Senate in January of 1973. Did he ever talk about Emmett Till? It was, hell, a lot, you know, not that removed from the incident itself. Happened in 1955. Let's see, 18 years later, a lot of the people were still alive. Joe, you could have done something. You could have done something about it. Uh, But let's see. Term one goes by, no. Term two goes by, no. Term three, no. Term four in the United States Senate, no. Term five, no. Term six, come on, you got to do something after, no. He doesn't do a damn thing. Uh, But now, now he's all over Emmett Till. Emmett Till, he'll never forget Emmett Till. And he had the family there of Emmett Till. I don't know, I mean, who's left of the family? I mean, let's face it, Emmett Till did not have any children, right? I mean, so what? who's, who's there? His mother's gone. So anyway, the relatives, they found a bunch of cousins and that kind of thing to show up at the White House today. And Joe gave a race-baiting, highly divisive speech and uh, just trying to remind everybody of uh, just stir up emotions about race. And it's succeeding, and he's ripping this country apart. And then he talked about those horrible Republicans in their book banding and stuff like that. Can I hear, please? At a time when there are those who seek to ban books Bury history. We're making it clear, crystal, crystal clear. (laughs) While darkness and denialism can hide much, they erase nothing. They can hide, but they erase nothing. We can't just choose to learn what we want to know. We have to learn what we should know. We should know about our country. We should know everything, the good, the bad, the truth, of who we are as a nation. That's what great nations do. And we are a great nation. That's what they do. For only with truth comes healing, justice, repair, and another step forward toward firming a more perfect union. We've got a hell of a long way to go. This guy never talks about what makes That's America great. That's just going to happen with visitors of all backgrounds, to learn the history of Emmett Till and maybe Till Mobley. You know, uh, Emmett Till is household name famous for decades. For decades. Emmett Till is how... I remember, I think, Imus got in trouble for making an Emmett Till joke once in 1983. You know, he said to somebody, I'm going to go Emmett Till on your ass. 
and that and people were offended by that. And maybe that was an offensive comment or I. So uh, we knew about Emmett Till before you showed up, Joe. Believe me, OK, you're not introducing us to anything, but you are successfully trying to rip this country apart. We know about the horrible things that happened. You can't shut up about it because you're exploiting people. You're exploiting it. You're using it to your own advantage. And you have to because you're desperate because, you know, the cops are are moving in. They are. (laughs) Joe, I mean, even corrupt Democrats, they can ignore this stuff for only so long. And we are on the verge of getting a tape, possibly out of Ukraine, possibly out of China. We have all kinds of text messages. We have emails. Still, the fake news denies it. Well, will they be able to deny Joe's voice? Well, I guess the partial answer is yes, because I've got him on tape um, basically pleading with the president of Ukraine to fire that uh, prosecutor. Can you grab that for me, please? Uh, to fire the prosecutor. He, there's a tape of him saying, and the, the, the president of Ukraine says, even though I have nothing, uh, this guy did nothing wrong, I will fire him as a favor to you. And that is my promise to you. And Joe's like, great. Thank you. Wow. Uh, because, well, Hunter um, Hunter was hired for $83,000 a month. Not for nothing. You gotta produce. And his, his service, he didn't know anything about oil, he had nothing to deliver in that regard, was a connection to his father. And you can't just, it's, you know, it's nice being the vice president's son, but, you know, what can you do for me? And this guy, Parjarski, says right in an email, these are the things that we need from you before we do any more business. And I've got the email right in front of me. It's right off of Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, Vard- Vadim Perzarski to Devin Archer, Hunter Biden, and Eric Sherwin. Dear colleagues, hope you are all well. Thank you for the documents provided. I have analyzed them most carefully and came up with the following observations. The first thing is that the suggested scope of work is largely lacking concrete, tangible results that we set out to achieve in the first place, mostly focusing on the process. Also, it does not offer any names of top U.S. officials here in Ukraine, for instance, the U.S. ambassador, or Ukrainian officials, the president of Ukraine, the chief of staff, the prosecutor general, as key targets for improving Nikolai's case and his situation in Ukraine. Nikolai is Nikolai Zlochevsky, who is the owner and founder of Burisma, the guy who was talking to the classified human source in that Form 1023 that we got a hold of last week. Back to the email, again, from uh, the, basically the number two of Burisma to Hunter Biden and his associates. And this is wild. If, however, this is done deliberately to be on the safe and cautious side, I can understand the rationale. And if all parties, in fact, understand the true purpose of the business engagement and our joint efforts, it's okay and we should proceed immediately. My only concern is that we all be on the same page regarding our final goals. With this in mind, I would like to formulate a list of deliverables, including but not limited to, one, a concrete course of action, including meetings, communications resulting in high-ranking U.S. officials in Ukraine, the U.S. ambassador, and in U.S. publicly or in private communication expressing their positive opinion and support of Nikolai and Burisma to the highest level of decision-makers here in Ukraine, the president of Ukraine, the president, the chief of staff, and the prosecutor general. The scope of the work should also include uh, uh, include organization of a visit 
of a number of widely recognized and influential current U.S. policymakers in Ukraine in November, aiming to conduct meetings with and bring positive signal message and Nikolai's issue to the top Ukrainian officials with the ultimate purpose of closing down any cases pursuits of Nikolai in Ukraine. Shutting down any cases or pursuits of Nikolai in Ukraine, i.e. the prosecutor general's investigation. <laughs> so this is... um. This guy said too much in his email, and guess what? They say a little bit too much to each other and right back to Vadim, because I have the response. Uh, first, Eric Sherwin writes to Devin Archer and Hunter, just to those guys, all right? Say, so what should we do with this email? He says, I would tell Vadim that this is definitely done deliberately to be on the safe and cautious side. Okay, so why they were vague in their initial outreach because they don't want to get caught. They can't say out loud that we're going to hook up uh, you guys with access to U.S. officials and U.S. officials are going to say positive things about Nikolai and this crazy company. We can't put that in writing. But you just did. So he says, yeah, we're telling we're being cautious. And then Hunter, who at this point is a raging crack addict, I hate to say that, but it's true, gets involved and writes back, Vadim. Devin and I do feel comfortable with the business arrangement and the ability of Saren and Kara to deliver. You should go ahead and sign. Looking forward to getting started on this. So they feel comfortable with everything this guy just laid out and the stuff that he wants. The U.S. officials, high-ranking Ukrainian officials, pressure on the prosecutor, uh, the ultimate purpose to close down any cases, pursuits against Nikolai in Ukraine. That's, uh, that's pretty wild. And now we know. Did you get that phone call? We got the phone call? All right, wonderful. Uh, let me. Is this the phone call or is this the CFR thing? Okay, this is the CFR thing. Well, here he is boasting at the CFR that he got the guy fired, which is exactly what Burisma wants. Go ahead. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a... <laughs> got fired and they put in place someone who was solid at the time is there any reason why we are uh, bleeping out b-i-t-c-h it's not that bad a word i mean <laughs> right uh so and then we have the actual phone call i was telling you about and this is uh he just boasted that he got the guy fired and i'll send this to you right now uh but it didn't really go down that way it was a bit more it was a bit more nuanced. It was a bit more mm, Joe begging for something to happen. Um, all right, I just sent you that. Now, it's wild that who's on the verge of being indicted? Joe Biden? Hunter Biden? No. In fact, Hunter is doing court tomorrow. We believe to plead guilty to two misdemeanor uh, offenses, tax offenses, and he'll get a total pass on the gun charge. You know, you know, the truth is sometimes tough to confront, but I do think ultimately it sets you free. How's everybody going to feel? How's the mainstream media going to feel? How are the Bidens going to feel if Hunter Biden should OD at the White House, should should die of a drug overdose? Now, I would hate for that to happen. But the way they're in denial and the way they cover for this guy again and again and again, and maybe you saw the video about two weeks ago at July 4th, Hunter was doing cocaine on that balcony. And uh, we know that cocaine is not his uh, drug of choice. He really prefers crack because it's a... Uh, well, it's a cheaper, more powerful high. It's also a lot more addictive. 
So he's probably doing crack as well. He did say he had a supernatural ability to find crack where nobody else could. And I'm kind of looking out for them, to be honest. You know, when Joe took that fall on the on the Air Force One steps, I said, please slow down. Even before that, because he took a little mini, like he just tripped just a little bit. I was the only one who noticed it. I, I did this whole public thing. I say, Joe, you got to slow down because you are going to go splat. You're going to get a compound fracture. You know, that would be bad for America. Definitely bad for you. I don't want that to happen. Slow down. Did he listen to me? No. Are any of his advisors saying the same thing? No. So he's running like crazy, doing that fake, stupid run to pretend that he's somehow 20 years younger than he is. So we have the phone call yet? All right. So this is the phone call from Biden. Well, it's between, I don't know who initiated the call, but it's Biden and Poroshenko. Poroshenko is at this time the president. Oh, still working on it. The president of your. All right. Well, just, uh, you know, just, you can throw the whole thing in. They're only going to listen to a little bit. But uh, in the meantime, Randy, real quick, what do you got to say? Yes, Randy. All right. I hate it when the radio is on. Let's go to Beth in Kentucky. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. Hey, how are you today? We'll get past. You're going to have to give an Appalachian lady a little longer to talk. We're slow. You can get crack anywhere where I live. I'm on the grand jury. I can't believe it. But I'm talking, calling in about Oppenheimer, and I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm waiting for my husband to get back on the road, which is who he's home today. I know that truck driving husband of yours. He's on his way back. So you're going to go see the movie. What did no, you say no, about the grand no, jury? No, no. no, no. All right, he hold is on. Home right here. Oh, he's home. Okay, welcome home to him. But whenever you call in that beautiful voice of yours, I, uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk about him too much. Beth, do me a favor. What did you? Uh, okay. what, what's on your mind today? Okay, Oppenheimer. Mm. All righty. I never put one plus one together. Until the movie came out. And I grew up with some Oppenheimer children in Appalachia, where I live, in another county. And we loved playing with them. Our neighborhood, we were told to get outside and go play. And don't come home until dinner. So we always played football. The whole neighborhood, all of us involved in me, male and female. And they, Oppenheimers had the best backyard in the neighborhood. Well, wait a second. How do we know it's the same Oppenheimer who invented the bomb? Well, hang on to this one. I'm in the Daughters of the American Revolution, and this gal joined, and her last name was Oppenheimer. And I got nervous and went up to her and said, are you the wife of this child, his name, Oppenheimer? And she said, yeah. So we started yakking together, and that's the same Oppenheimer I played as a child in elementary and junior high school with. Well, that's amazing. I didn't know about the Kentucky angle, to be honest. I had no idea, because uh, Oppenheimer himself grew up on the Upper West Side, 155 Riverside Avenue, I, the apartment. I, it's, it's The apartment building is still there. He lived on the 11th floor, and then he lived in New Mexico, and then he came back to uh, Princeton, New Jersey. I did not know about this uh, Kentucky detour. Hang on. <laughs> All right. The bet. Do me a favor. Stand by. I got to go for a quick break. I'll be right back. Stay, stay there. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
So this is just a little bit of a flavor, okay? There are a lot. There's a lot more where this came from. But here's a phone call recorded by the Ukrainians, by the president of Ukraine, of uh, then Vice President Joe Biden. Go ahead, please. Hey, Petro. Joe, how are you? Very well, indeed. As usual, when I hear your voice, my dear friend. And if the uh, president uh, can also support us, not only with the Minsk, but with the visa-free, that would be something we, when we are trying to sell uh, to the Ukrainian people. And uh, I'm still uh, hoping that you can come maybe on the 21st of uh, November, on our anniversary of Revolution of Dignity, and that would be a very big deliver. Uh, these guys talk a lot, huh? But you can tell it's you can tell it's recorded on the Ukrainian side. And we'll get to the uh, we'll get to the money part in a little bit. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, more polls show that Donald Trump is uh, crushing all of his competitors. I mean, crushing. Mitt Romney comes out and says that the mega donors. He actually calls it the mega donors. He says the mega donors need to uh, apply pressure on some of these uh, candidates, these candidates down the block, down the tier there, who aren't doing very well to get out of the race, and uh, they got to coalesce around someone uh, as if it's up to the mega donors. No, it's up to the people. It's up to the people, and you can see how the people feel. Uh, the mega donors, they will not give up, huh? The mega donors. You know, again, you are a mega donor. Have you given a dollar yet? Have you given $5? You, if you can give five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, one buck, you are more important than a mega donor. You're more important, literally. And I'm not just saying like, you know, this is not some pep talk. It is now a truism. It's accepted in politics that a thousand, a thousand people giving one dollar, that's, that's more than a thousand times better than one person giving a thousand. All right. It shows so much breadth of support. It shows um, just that is the kind of, uh, donor you want, not some rich guy who's going to actually start bossing you around. And some rich guys are great. Oh, by the way, all right, they're on the right side. You know, they're, it's 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 wonderful when they're successful. I just don't like it when they think they run the country. You know what I mean? Hey, let's listen to that phone call. All right, here it is. Now you got to pump up the volume. And here's Poroshenko, the president of Ukraine, and he's recording the call. Keep that in mind because you want to have evidence of this. Go ahead. The third, I have a. Some positive and negative news. Positive and negative news. I will news. start with the positive news. Well, good. Joe, I have a second positive news for you. Yesterday, I met me with the general prosecutor, Shokin. Yes. And despite of the fact that we didn't have any corruption charges, we don't have any information about the, he doing something wrong, I especially asked him... No, it was the day before yesterday. I especially asked him to resign. In, uh, as a, his uh, position as a state person. And despite of the fact that he has a support in the power. And as a finish of my meeting with him, he promised me to give me the statement on, on resignation. 
Uh, one hour ago, he bring me the written uh, statement of his resignation. Great. And this is my second step for keeping my promises. I agree. That's a very different story than what he told the people at the CFR, right? It's a very, you can hear he's, uh, this guy is doing him a favor. He's reminding Joe, i.e., you're going to owe me for this. And he goes out of his way to say, this guy didn't do anything wrong. This is all blowing up. This tape, I think I first heard this maybe three years ago. All right? And uh, look, what, what, we don't, we're not the mainstream media. We're, we're, we're conservative media. The mainstream, you know, the corporations, they still dominate. And they're still protecting Joe, but they're getting a little bit tired of it. They're sensing weakness, they're sensing a change, and there's about to be an avalanche, we believe, of evidence that could totally bury Joe Biden forever. All right, so uh, so stand by. All right. Hey, Beth, one more time. All right, so, Sal, you, so you knew the Oppenheimers in Kentucky. That's great. Anything else going on? No, let me tell you something. Uh, you know I, what? It's I, not. All right. I mean, I mean, I, I, I prefer you. I don't need to know about these Oppenheimers you met uh, 30 it, years ago. What? It was, it was his brother that lived where we lived. Frank? And Is his a, name Frank? Uh, we were never told because it was a hush-hush. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I don't believe he was in Kentucky. I did a deep dive on this guy last night, and Kentucky did not come up. In fact, he lived in New York. He lived in uh, he lived on Long Island for a bit. He no, lived uh, his, what? His family. Hey, you know what? Lots I, of people are named Oppenheimer. Actually, I was so curious. So he has a son who's a carpenter in New Mexico, and I actually spent for whatever stupid reason I, I spent forty five minutes last night trying to find this guy, and I did. All right. I just and I I know where he lives. I know where he lives, and I, I he's alive and he's a carpenter. Isn't that amazing? But I'm sorry, he lives like two thousand miles away from New Mexico, uh, from uh, from uh, Kentucky. Um, but you're good. Otherwise, you're staying on that elliptical. No, actually, today I'm doing embroidery work. I'm doing a picture from England. Well, that's very beautiful. And uh, if you ever want to send me one of those, I would. I would swoon. I would swoon, Beth. Yeah. Think yeah. about it. All right. One day. Who knows? Christmas, maybe. Thank you, Beth, very much. Um, right. You're the best. And I'm glad your husband is back after all those travels. Um, yeah. Isn't that interesting? I mean, these uh, these mega smart people, they bring up children. And, you know, what was it like to be the son of the father of the atomic bomb? Does that make the son the brother of the atomic bomb? I don't know. But, you know, in the movie, they kind of address this. Um, the mother kind of was a little bit above motherhood. You know, she it was all interfering with her mission to become a uh, full-fledged whatever the hell it is she was pursuing. She didn't seem very nice. And that's got to be tough. A lot of you, know, you compare yourself. And so he went off and became a carpenter. I'm sure he's a very good carpenter. Sandra, hello. And I made my first call to Kevin McCarthy, and I basically said, 
what I said. I said it's very important that Congress put a stop to any further persecution. Sandra, I can barely Trump. hear you. I know you're online at the no. movie, and, uh, and it sounds like you're actually on a lawnmower. But, uh, Sandra, I'm glad you made the call to Capitol Hill. Keep in touch. Give him a piece of your mind. But remember, you got to follow up with a note. You got to you got to put a stamp on it. You got to write something. You know, they have procedures for dealing with uh, the phone calls, right? They put them on voicemail. You know, they have some intern uh, take a note that they throw away. So, but if they're deluged with letters, that can make a real difference. That can actually, uh, yeah, that can that gets noticed. Uh, Paul on Long Island, yeah. Hey, Greg, how are you? Good. Great. Do you know the actor who played Oppenheimer named Cillian Murphy? Yeah, some Irish guy. An Irish guy. Do you know what the first movie he ever made was? No. Red Eye with Rachel McAdams 15 years ago. I don't know anything he, about that movie. Where he, where he played a terrorist. It was made by that guy, Wes Craven. All right. Makes all these, oh, uh, I hate know, that guy. He's, uh, he writes, he, there's something very moody and weird about his movies. Uh, all right. What about it? No, that's the only movie I ever saw him in in my life. And he played the bad guy, and Rachel McAdams killed him at the very end. Well, don't tell us right everything. We may want to see Red Eye. I mean, um, it's good. It's a, all right, it's all right, got it. He was in a movie a long time ago. I mean, it's no stretch that that guy played villains. I mean, he looked he looked like a bad guy in this one with that hat. Kind of looked like a you know zombie slash a little bit like David Bowie. There was something very odd about him, but very effective. You know, I would, I'll admit he had a certain charisma and you wanted to know what the hell was going to happen next to him, but it was all make believe. I thought it was overproduced. You know, it was a little bit much. There was something a little, a little much. Did you see it? No, I haven't seen oh, it. All yet. right. Well, you got to go see it. You got to go see it. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, 15 years ago, he was in a movie. Imagine that. Uh, let's do one more. Mark. Mark in New Jersey. Yeah, how you doing today? Hey, I want to get back to Carmela Harris. Uh, there's too much baggage on Biden. They're getting rid of him. They're keeping her no matter if they like her or not. Because you said it before, she's black and she's a woman. The neocons want her in because they can control her. Well... For me, it makes no difference that she's black and a woman. She's totally incompetent and stupid. And you can see that. And it's a major liability. They feel they can't get rid of her because she's black and a woman. Like they're afraid of her somehow, which is very strange. They, they, they think it's socially you cannot do that to a to a black woman. You cannot fire a black woman. Now, I disagree, especially if the black woman happens to be doing such a horrible, horrible job as uh, as this uh, person, her race has nothing to do with it, but right now it's protecting her. As Curtis would say, her complexion is her protection. Yeah, but the neocons can control her. That's why they'll keep her. I don't know about the neocons. What do you mean by neocon, anyway? Give me a definition of neocon. Give me a... And it's it's uh, like a Lindsey Graham. No, no, no. I asked you for a definition of, of, of neocon, and you can't just start throwing names, and you can't just you know say globalist. I'm not trying to trick you. I mean, I really am like, what the hell does that mean? It's thrown around a lot. What I think it is is a former liberal who is now conservative, i.e. neo, new. There's a new Latin, but it still doesn't make sense because all of the neocons that they were talking about, like, uh, who was a famous neocon? Uh, Rumsfeld, uh, Paul Wolfowitz. They were conservatives all along, I think. Maybe not Wolfowitz. Maybe Wolfowitz. Maybe Wolfowitz. Does he used to be liberal? I don't know. Who cares? 
Anyway, Mark, interesting. Uh, I think you're right, though. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough. And actually, I want to do one more. Uh, Susan, Greg. Oh, something weird happened today. One time when I was talking to you when I first moved up here, um, and you said, "Oh, the finger lakes." Hunter Biden has a tattoo of finger lakes on his back. I know it's gross too. It's really gross. Guess what? So today I was speaking to a, a friend of mine who's really heavy in politics. I hadn't talked to him. And I said, yeah, I live in the Finger Lakes. He said, oh, Hunter Biden has a tattoo on his back. And he said, did you know that the Finger Lakes is a very prominent area for uh, women and children uh, sex trafficking? Oh, you told me that before. Then, you said that, no, you said no, no, that no, once no. before. Mace, Nancy, Nancy Mace. No, I didn't tell you that. Yes, you did. I just heard it today. Well, I did. you Mace. said you said that before. You called me. I know you did. You you no, were reminded of it. Well, what about Nancy today. Mace? What did Nancy Mace do? Okay, she said that when they finally got, you know, they they requested all of these um, suspicious activity reports from the Treasury, and that she said that when they finally got to go there, that one of the thickest files that they had from like. 2015 or 16 was a, a file on Hunter Biden sex trafficking. Uh, uh, they believe from the Ukraine, men, women, and children. I don't know what. So it seems like now with this uh, Sound of Freedom movie, there's some like real, if you believe in, um, you know, God showing his hand, I think that this is going to expose a lot and open a lot of minds. I just feel like something is really um, happening. All right. I just don't know what this stuff is. You're talking about Nancy Mace. She's, I mean, about the file on Hunter. Look, there's a million things in that laptop. We can ask Rudy about the child sex stuff. I know that there are allegations about uh, uh, the niece, but I do believe that she was of age. It's all tawdry. Uh, it's really it's really tawdry and, uh, and, and horrible. And... Um, I still don't understand the Finger Lakes uh, angle. No, well, no, that just that this is an area I never heard this until today that is known as an area for sex trafficking. I mean, I wouldn't know that. I don't know that. And uh, I, somebody once, it wasn't you, somebody else said that. Um, actually, actually, come to think of it, there was an arrest up there. Maybe that's it. There was an arrest up there a few months ago of a bunch of people involved in something. But you know you see that across the you know you see it across the country, right? I mean, the guy they busted in um, Sound of Freedom, right? Where did he live? He lived in that little town in California, right near the border. So, uh, so who knows? Anyway, uh, keep your eyes peeled, and thank you. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, hey, reminder: as they look at the backyard of this guy Rex Hoyerman's house. Rex Hoyerman should have been arrested in 2012, 11 years ago. Uh, it's great that the new commissioner and the new DA were able to connect the dots, but those dots were sitting there waiting to be connected since 2012. And in 2012, they had like three or four critical pieces of information. That quite frankly, they should have solved it. Uh, <laughs> I would say in a matter of hours, maybe days, maybe, maybe weeks, but uh, let's go over it real quick. What did they have? What did they know in 2012? They had a description of the suspect, six foot four, six foot five, gargantuan, like an ogre. We know that because, well, the person who handled the business affairs uh, for one of the women killed, the pimp, 
uh, had a description, and he gave it to cops. He also said that the guy was driving an avalanche, a Chevrolet avalanche. How do they know that? I mean, not everybody knows what a Chevrolet avalanche looks like, but it had that unique triangular kind of tilted window, and that's how they figured out it was an avalanche. All right? So, and what else happened in 2012? They actually had the avalanche in the description all the way back in uh, December of 2010. And by 2012, the FBI had narrowed it down. They knew the calls from the burner phone were coming from two places, Massapequa Park and Midtown Manhattan. Massapequa Park and Midtown Manhattan. I think you can kind of figure out. I, I saw in a documentary five years ago that they were pretty sure it was a commuter. It was a commuter. I know from the authorities, they say the FBI had a box for cell towers all pointing to Massapequa Park. How many people, forget about descriptions, forget about avalanches, how many people commute from Massapequa Park to Manhattan every day? Now, the town has about 7,000, 8,000 people. Actually, no, I'm sorry, 17,000 people. It has 7,000 houses. How many, how many of the 17,000 make the commute? I don't know, what, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000? You see how we're narrowing it down, suspects? You go from, you know, a billion, five, six billion people in the world. Now we're down to 3,000 suspects. Okay, how many of those people who commute are over six foot five and male? All right, and then, okay, we find those guys. How many of them uh, live in Massapequa Park? We double check that. How many of them drive Chevrolet Avalanches or have ever driven a Chevrolet Avalanche? Or maybe they have a Chevrolet Avalanche in their driveway right now. All right, so uh, <laughs> that it all points to Rex Hoyerman. I'm glad they got the guy. It took him way too damn long. And one of the reasons it took him so long, it looks like that crazy uh, police chief. What was his name? What was his name? Burke. The guy who, uh, you know, was going to this sex party and that sex party and uh, all over the place. And you're allowed to do those things, uh, but you're not allowed to discourage the FBI from investigating a serial killer because you're afraid that they may catch on to your uh, your proclivities. If your proclivities are legal, you have got nothing to worry about. So it's a very strange thing, this whole Burke, uh, uh, Chief Burke. And then the DA, Spoda, Spada, what was his name? Spoda? Why the hell would he care? Why did he care so much about this Burke guy? Why was he helping him cover up? So what happened? Some suspect, some guy, you know, some guy pulled over for petty larceny and, and, and grabbed a sex toy out of Burke's back seat and Burke, uh, I guess, beat him to a pulp, right? Isn't that what the allegation is? So that's totally crazy weird. And I'm glad they solved the case. Uh, what's, what's, what's his name? Ray Tierney. Awesome. Commissioner Rodney Harrison. Awesome. Burke? Spoda? Sorry, there are a couple of bums. Uh, they can straighten out. They can, you know, they can straighten it out. But uh, they were not good. They were not good in this thing. All right, I got to wrap up in a second. Um, so with that, uh, let's see. I have to say goodbye to the following people. Number one, Ben, what can I do for you? Yeah, I just want to say that uh, the first uh, president said that the vice presidency of Buckley spit picture fit was Nance Johnson, and Biden's the biggest racist. He was mentored by the Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan, as was Harry Truman. And the bottom line is, help the American veterans. Thank you. I knew it was you. No kidding. Why do you think that's so... <laughs> you think that's going to make a difference, by the way, Ben? 
goodwill. Ben, you think it's going to you're going to it's going to make a difference? All right, th- thanks, Ben. All right. Uh, John Nance Gardner is he the one who said that about the spit? Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh, Joe, hello, Joe. I got to go in a moment, but I wanted to talk to you first. Hi, Joe. Hello, 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 uh, Greg. Listen, uh, my wife's great aunt worked on the Manhattan Project. She wasn't a scientist or anything. Oppenheimer gave her the creeps. Joe Biden's a creepy dude, and if 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 his own party don't stop him, we'll never get rid of him because unless we have a tape of him, uh, a tape of him doing crimes, he they say it's, it's hearsay. They all think that the liberals think that we were all made with a finger, but the laughs is go- is going to be on them. Well, you may be right, uh, and but but we think that that tape actually exists. Okay, there's a tape to that effect out there. Hey, by the way, the dog situation, it was suspicious from the get-go. We have another White House report. They're admitting that the replacement dog, remember they had, they had Major and Major was replaced by Commander? Well, Commander bit everybody in sight. Have you ever been bitten by a dog? I love dogs. But when I, I've been bitten twice, once, yeah, about twice in my life by a dog. It's the most infuriating thing. And you're actually not that mad at the dog. You're mad at the owner. What in the hell is wrong with you? So these Secret Service agents, it looks like a dozen times that dog bit Secret Service agents. That's on Joe. Can't even manage his own dog. You know the rest. Can't manage the country. I'm sorry. I'll see you later.